Hey, what's up, everybody? Happy Monday. Hope you guys had a great weekend and uh, wishing you a great, great week, a great start to the week today. Um, and we're almost into February already, huh? And we're two weeks away from the Super Bowl. So as you see, I'm rocking my Detroit Lions cap, still very proudly rocking it. Um, I wanted to catch up. I just, I got a few minutes of free time uh, away from the kids and everything else away from work. So I wanted to do a quick impromptu show. I'm not going to um, take phone calls today because I, I doubt that I'm going to get many calls anyway. It's early on the West Coast. This is an impromptu show. I didn't announce it or anything. So I just want to catch up on a few things. We've had some recent fights to, to review uh, this month in January some important fights with, with, you know, implications for the future. And then there have been some fights announced that I want to talk about, um, the good, the bad, the ugly, all that stuff. So we'll do all that. Uh, before I get into that, I got to talk about my Detroit lions real quick. So look, I know it's a boxing channel. I'm going to talk about some football for just a few minutes here. Um, absolute heartbreaker last night, man. Uh, lost by three points to the San Francisco 49ers in the NFC championship. The Detroit Lions started really hot out of the gate. We're up big in the first half, and it looked like it was going to be a blowout. It looked like the Lions were going to do it. Guys, I literally got like over 100 texts yesterday, and most of them were during that first half. I was getting texts from friends you know, all over the place uh, and, and boxing colleagues and stuff everywhere um, from different countries texting me saying like, dude, they're going to do it. <laughs> it looked like they were. And then, um, and then the second half happened. Um, so I'm not going to like break down, you know, the entire game or whatever. Again, this isn't a football channel, but I'll say this um, right now. A lot of people are bashing, uh, the Lions coach, Dan Campbell, for some of his decisions in that second half. Uh, and two specific decisions where it was a fourth down. He could have kicked field goals in those instances. And if you make both those field goals, the Lions have six more points on the scoreboard. They ended up losing by three points. So, you know, hey, but, um, you know, look, the Lions have been aggressive all season. And those aggressive go forward on fourth down when nobody else would, those ballsy plays, worked for them most of the year. And that's part of what got them to where they were. That is the culture of the team. It's a gritty team that goes for it, right? But I think that you have to have a certain amount of magic, for lack of a better term, and momentum for those things to work. And this team had that coming into this game, right? And all through the first half, but that magic runs out at some point, you know, it's like being on a hot streak, hot streaks don't last forever in any sport, right? And, and that magic where everything's just clicking and working, it doesn't last like that. Life doesn't work that way in any situation, not just sports, right? relationships, friendships, business, finances, all that stuff. There are times where that magic, that momentum just kind of stalls out. It's nature. And when that happens in football, you have to go back to the fundamentals. And in football, that's um, clock management, you know, time management, protecting the football, making big plays, uh, converting on third down, fourth down, you know, special teams making plays on defense, getting stops. 
And with the Lions, it was uh, just mistake after mistake in that second half, right? It, again, it's easy to go to those two fourth downs and Dan Campbell, um, the decision-making. And again, if it were me in that situation, it's like, dude, we're it's, a, it's the second half. We don't have momentum right now. We've lost momentum. We have to stop the 49ers' momentum. And we're on the road. And we're one half away from the Super Bowl. Let's play the percentages and go for that field goal. At one point, if they would have kicked a field goal and made it, it would have been a three. They still would have had a three uh, score lead, right? It would have taken the 49ers three scores to catch back up. So um, I definitely would have, at least in one of those instances, kicked a field goal and gone for the points. Uh, yes, you can blame Dan Campbell, and, and there's a lot of memes out there like dude, X and, and Facebook are not disappointing. Instagram, I've seen a bunch of them. Uh, they're brutal, but the Lions fumbled the ball. They dropped passes that were very catchable balls from uh, Jared Goff, including on a fourth down that would have absolutely probably sealed the game for them. Um, and, and then they blew some, some uh, coverages on defense. They just blew some coverages. Christian McCaffrey shredded the Detroit Lions defense in the second half. Just absolutely, pretty much one man destroyed that team in the second half. And then Brock Purdy played lights out. For all the criticism he's taken, he has outplayed quarterbacks that get way more media shine than him. Like guys like Lamar Jackson, Dak Prescott and such, completely outplayed those guys in these playoffs. And he, you know, was rushing for 50 plus yards. So anyway, it was um, just a breakdown in several areas. It was kind of a whole team breakdown and people are using the word choke. I'm not going to use that word. I'll say this word inexperience. Experience matters in the San Francisco 49ers, their coaching staff and the nucleus of players they have. A lot of them have experience in the playoffs. They have experience in high profile games and that experience showed that the inexperience of the Detroit Lions, both the core nucleus of players, it's a very young team. Most of them have never even sniffed the playoffs. And also the coaching staff, okay, as coaches in the roles that they're in now and coordinators, those guys haven't been in this position before. So the inexperience both on the field and on the sidelines cost the Detroit Lions in this game and, and you know again eventually the magic and all that ran out it wore out and it had to go back to fundamentals and it came down to experience in the more experienced team with the more experienced players and coaches grinded out of uh, victory so so look congrats to the 49ers um I, you know i gotta root for them now right against kansas city i'm sick of the kansas city chiefs and like it's it's the it's so obvious that the nfl is desperate for them. They're, they're so happy that they're in the Super Bowl. Pfizer is the NFL's biggest sponsor. They pretty much fund the league. And Travis Kelsey is Mr. Pfizer. And, and then Allstate and all these things are, you know, they have um, uh, Patrick Mahomes. So there's all this sponsorship money tied in with the league and everything through Kansas City. They've gotten all the calls their way for years now. They get away with a hold on just in and off sides on just about every play, offensive play. Um, and they've done this for years. So, like, the league desperately wants them to win. And they really, really want to anoint them uh, on the same pedestal as the, the 
New England Patriots when they had their great run with Brady or the Dallas Cowboys, you know, in their dynasty in the nineties and, and the 49ers and their dynasty in the eighties and the Pittsburgh Steelers, like they want them up on that echelon. Um, I'm rooting for the 49ers, man. I hope that they get this thing done uh, because they're the team that beat the lions and they're repping the NFC. So I'm going to go for them. Uh, I think most of America is going to agree with me. I'm not even going to mention that singer's name that they show every three seconds on every uh, Kansas City Chiefs game. And I'm going to mention her name. OK, but you guys know. All right. Enough football talk. Let's do some boxing talk. All right. And look, um, I, for you guys that are just getting on, I'm not going to do any phone calls. Um, but if you guys have any, you know, get in the chat. I'll get to, to some chat comments for sure. And um, all that good stuff. I just don't have enough time to do like a 90-minute show and take calls and stuff. I'm I'm getting on and doing a catch-up show <laughs> while I have time. I mean, the wife is away. The kids are away. I've got a little bit of time. going to knock this out right now. All right. Um, let's talk about some upcoming fights. And the good, the bad, the ugly, you guys know I'm going to give it to you straight. Uh, I'll, I'll go in order of the fights. So the first fight card, March 8th in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. Anthony Joshua versus Francis Ngannou. Also co-feature Zelay Zhang versus Joseph Parker. Let's talk about this. Now, obviously, obviously this is going to go pay-per-view, right? If they do another $40 pay-per-view, this, His Excellency is putting this on. And if they do another $40 pay-per-view, I think it's a good buy. And I think it's going to do very, very well. It's a good value, I should say. And it's going to do really well because you have star names on here. You got heavyweights in action. And I like that co-feature, man. Zangwers Parker is not going to disappoint. That is going to steal the show. I can't wait for that. Big Bang Zang. If he stops Parker... Parker, who just annihilated Deontay Wilder. That's a big deal, man. That's a big deal. And look, I talk all the time about how global boxing is now. It's never been this global. Dude, you've got how, how many continents are represented in those two heavyweight fights? Joshua and Ganu is Zhang Parker. How many different continents, let alone countries, okay, are represented in those two fights? You think of the literally tens of millions, potentially hundreds of millions of people collectively that might be interested in watching. I'm, I'm not even exaggerating. Do you guys know how, do you know how many people live in China? It's a lot. Okay. So if 10% of that country tunes in, dude, that's over a hundred million people. So look, I'm not saying I expect that definitely tens of millions of people. I'm just saying it's going to be a really successful show on a global stage. Now, some people are criticizing Anthony Joshua for fighting Francis Ngannou. My response to that is, and I've talked a little bit about this before, I think, um, at least I think I have. I can't remember what I've discussed on the show. I can't remember what happened three days ago. But um, look, if you're going to blame anybody for this fight happening, you know who to blame. It's Tyson Fury. Tyson Fury made Francis Ngannou relevant. It was a cherry pick gone wrong for him. He didn't show up in shape. He didn't take the fight seriously. He got dropped and embarrassed. Many people felt he lost the fight. All right. Either way, it was close. Even if you like from what I saw, I thought Fury edged it. 
but it was very close, very competitive. And Francis Ngannou, a boxing novice making his professional debut, should not even be able to hang with, quote unquote, one of the best heavyweights of all time, which is what the Fury Fanatics rate Tyson Fury. So it's Tyson Fury who made Francis Ngannou relevant. And now he's going to go up against Anthony Joshua. I don't blame Anthony Joshua and his team one bit for taking this fight, because here's what's going to happen. There might be some scary moments early on, but Anthony Joshua is going to beat the shit out of Francis Ngannou and stop him late in this fight. Go ahead and bookmark this. He's going to do what Tyson Fury should have done, and it's going to be a notch, a feather in his cap. How about that? Notch on his belt, a feather on his cap for AJ over Fury. And by the way, I think Anthony Joshua's resume is going to continue to look better and better and better. And he is going to be seen as the second best heavyweight of this era behind Alexander Usyk. I'm just mark my words as we play it out over the next couple of years. I think that's going to that's going to happen. So anyway, I like Joshua to beat Nganu here. And I look, does this fight of any relevance in the heavyweight division? No. But Anthony Joshua has fought everybody. The, the Wilder fight didn't happen. It wasn't because of AJ. It's because Wilder and his team turned down over $100 million from the zone guaranteed. That's 100% on Shelly Finkel, Al Heyman, all those people. It has nothing to do with Anthony Joshua and Eddie Hearn. Joshua has fought everybody. They were ready to fight Tyson Fury. But then Fury, you know, Wilder went to court, blah, blah, blah. And then Fury had to fight Wilder again. You guys remember that story. Joshua's fought everyone. He's won titles multiple times. If he wants to take, he just fought in December against Otto Valin, who's a top 20 heavyweight. If he wants to fight in Ganu right now, I mean, he's turning around to what, two months later fighting in Ganu? That pretty much leaves him open if everything goes according to plan and there's no bumps and bruises after this fight, no injuries. And he might fight twice more this year. So I have no problem with this. And then the co features, Zelaya Zhang versus Joseph Parker. Parker's been very active. He's had a nice resurgence here later in his career. He seems to be fighting smarter um, and, and taking less chances. And I thought, you know, obviously he looked really good against Deontay Wilder. Just a better fighter than Wilder. Always would have beat Wilder, in my opinion. And now going up against Zhang, I don't know if he's going to have that same kind of success, but he is more experienced than Zhang. He's been in with every style. Normally, he sh has shown a fantastic chin and the ability to absorb big shots. This is going to be a fun fight, man. Zhang is on quite a run. He's got all the momentum on his side, but Parker's got a lot of momentum too. A lot of times in these heavyweight crossroads type of fights, one guy's riding high and one guy's kind of fading in his career, right? Both of these guys are on a really good streak and coming off of really solid big wins last year. So I love that fight. It, to me, that's that's worth $40. Now, if this pay-per-view is $80, you're not getting my money. I'm going to call it out right now. But if it's $40, bucks, i am buying it. I'm buying it. Yep, I'm buying it. All right. Here comes a pay-per-view I'm not going to buy. <laughs> you guys know where I'm going next. Tim Zhu versus Keith Thurman. March 30th from Las Vegas. This is the launch of PBC on Amazon Prime. And this will be a pay-per-view. And as I understand it, it hasn't been officially announced yet. But I have heard that this will be that standard $80 price tag. Now, if this is a $40 pay-per-view, then my opinion will so somewhat change 
But when you have a pay-per-view, literally what, three weeks before that Joshua Ganu Zhang Parker pay-per-view, which is light years better than this one. Um, and it's probably, you know, whether it's 40, 80 bucks, whatever, most people, if they're buying a pay-per-view in March, that's going to be the one they buy. I, that's just the way it is. Anyway, Tim Zhu versus Keith Thurman, March 30th, Las Vegas. So PBC had to move, you know, after Showtime was done with them. They had to find a new home. They negotiated with several platforms. Ultimately, nobody wanted to give them money and pay for their fights. That's just where they're at. Okay. Uh, they've exhausted their relationships with every network, every mainstream network in America. They've had fights on there. They actually paid many of those networks to host their fights, to broadcast their fights. And in the end, when they were without a network deal at the end of last year, and they started negotiating, nobody wanted to put up money for their fights. So they end up doing this deal with Amazon. And the fact that this is going to pay-per-view pretty much tells you the kind of deal this Amazon deal is. Um, Amazon's obviously not going to pay the amount of money required to meet the purse demands of these fighters for these type of events. So they got to go to pay-per-view. Now, Keith Thurman, he has fought, and I, I posted this on X, but he has fought five times since 2015. Five times. His entire career has been at welterweight. When he was a prospect, he had some fights above welterweight because he was just a prospect when he was fighting, you know, developmental type of fights. But since he's been a ranked fighter, he has been a welterweight his entire career. What I find hilarious about this is that Mike Coppinger, who, look, I, I get why Mike does the stuff he does and why he does it the way he does it. He's not really a journalist. He's more of a PR guy, right? And that's how he keeps his job and keeps his access. But he justified this matchup in his little post, you know, sources, this fight's coming together, blah, 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 right? He does, he does his normal post. And then at the end of it, he says, Keith Thurman, he's been a welterweight his whole career, but he fought as a junior middleweight in the Olympic trials once. It's somehow that justifies Keith Thurman moving up to junior middleweight to fight the top guy, Tim Zhu. Uh, Tim Zhu is either the number one or number two junior middleweight in the world, depending on who you talk to. Um, he's no less than the second best, okay? He might be the best right now. Keith Thurman's done absolutely nothing, nothing to earn this fight. And him moving up to junior middleweight, it's it's asinine, right? But the justification, the media will bend over backwards to try to justify this kind of a matchup. Again, because they got to keep their access, right? And keep people happy. And they're basically just PR guys for different promotional outfits. Thurman, to be clear, I think it was 2005 when he fought in those Olympic trials. And the reason why he fought at junior middleweight isn't because he was a really a natural junior middleweight. It's because he didn't want to fight in the Olympic trials at welterweight. He liked his chances better. And the way the Olympic team was all structured, he had a, a seemingly easier road to the Olympics going up to, I think it was 152 in the amateurs. And he ended up losing to Demetrius Andrade. That's who actually uh, who he lost to in the trials. So it, it didn't work out for him anyway. But like to try to tie that in almost two decades later to this fight, as if somehow it justifies this matchup, that is hilarious, dude. And the mental gymnastics I am seeing from people uh, on X and everywhere else saying that, you know, Thurman, uh, this is a 50-50 fight. Thurman's, you know, got so much experience. Look, Thurman does have experience. 
He is an experienced fighter. He's an experienced part-time semi-retired fighter for the better part of, you know, the last half century or half century, half decade, but it uh, feels like half century. <laughs> but um, look, in the end, oh, and I should mention, so so Tim Zhu is the WBO junior middleweight champion, right? Uh, the WBO, I have to give them credit. I shit on the sanctioning organizations all the time, but I have to give them credit. They refuse to sanction this for their their title. In fact, I tweeted, and the WBO follows me on social, so I, I know somebody there saw my tweet. But I took a screenshot of their ratings at welterweight and at junior middleweight, where their top 15 guys are ranked, and Keith Thurman isn't ranked anywhere by the WBO right now. Anywhere. And I screenshot that, and I posted it. I know somebody there saw that. I'm not saying it factored into their decision, okay? But I'm just saying... If they try to pull some trickery and suddenly next month in February, they got Keith Thurman at number one, you know, the number one contender. The BC's pulled that move. The BA has pulled that move. But the WBO, to their credit, didn't try to pull some stunts like that. Um, they refused to sanction it for their belt. So you guys got to think about it. I mean, this is going to be seven-figure purses for Zoo and Thurman, right? Um that's a, that's a nice sanctioning fee for the WBO for their belt. They're basically turning down. I mean, they're still going to get paid because it's a WBO sanctioned fight, but they're not going to get paid what they could have if this was a title fight. So they deserve some credit here. A sanctioning organization doing the ethical thing for less money? Holy shit. Can you believe it? In 2024? Yeah. So let's give credit to the WBO. I mean, in recent years, they have been the best most consistent of the four sanctioning bodies, the four major ones. They really have been the best, most consistent in regards to playing by their rules and not having 5 billion titles in each division and all that kind of stuff. Shifting their ratings, you know, because a bunch of money shows up in an envelope on their desk. And they haven't done that kind of crap. They're not perfect, but I give them credit. So anyway, I wanted to mention that because it's relevant here. As far as what I think about the actual matchup, this is going to look like Canelo Alvarez versus Jermel Charlo. That's exactly how this is going to look. The reason why I say that, Keith Thurman is experienced enough to, I think, survive in this fight. Now, it's possible that Zoo could stop him late. It is possible. Thurman's been chronically inactive. By the time they fight, it will have been over, I think, two years since he has fought. And Zoo's been active. You know, to his credit, see, here's the thing with Tim Zhu. PBC represents him here in the United States, but over in Australia, they got their own management. They do their own things. So ultimately, he has the authority and the power in a managerial perspective to tell PBC, hey, I'm not sitting on my ass like all your other fighters do. I'm staying active. You, you know, Charlo doesn't want to fight me. I don't give a shit. I'm going to keep fighting. And to his credit, he has stayed active. That's going to serve him well in this fight. But Thurman's just experienced enough and everything where I think Thurman is going to be able to survive. But he's, you know, he might have a couple of interesting moments early in the fight. But this is going to look like Canelo versus Charlo. And down the stretch, it might get a lot uglier than that fight because Thurman's just really inactive. And this is obviously a cash out, right? It's not even for a world title. This is a cash out. That's what I think of the fight. It has absolutely no business being on pay-per-view. Now. The rest of this card, Raleigh Romero versus Isaac Cruz. Cool. Two B-level guys fighting for a belt. 
that fight doesn't mean shit. It's going to be fun. It'll be an interesting match just because of the styles, but it, it has no significant relevance to the division that they fight in. Neither one of those guys is elite. They're not a top guy. Irislandi Lara versus Michael Zarafa. Zarafa is from Australia. I get it. Lara is like 472 years old. Again, I don't know what kind of relevance that fight has. It might play out as an interesting fight uh, in the ring because of styles and everything. The fight that I'm actually looking forward to on this card, Sebastian Fondora versus Sergei Bohachuk. And I believe that's going to be for a vacant belt. Um, uh, one of the belts I think Charlo was stripped of. I think uh, these guys are going to fight for. I can't remember what organization it is. I like that fight. That's actually the best fight on the card. And uh, I think it will deliver in the ring. That should be a really, really interesting, fun fight. However, all these fights combined, okay, it's not that this is a terrible card because I, I do think it's going to provide action and these are going to be fun fights in the ring. It's that if this is your launch on a new platform, if this is how you're announcing your new brand on this new platform, right? After all the talk you've had for years about we'll never fight on an app, well, now you're on an app, free boxing for all. It's not really free anymore. Hasn't been for a while. And we don't even recognize the WBO. Hey, we're fighting the WBO champion and we represent him in America. They tried to make this for a WBO title fight after years of not even recognizing the WBO. The, the goalposts have just been moved so many times. And, and this is how you're launching your new platform, pay-per-view. And, and let's be honest, guys, it's a good chance this ends up being like $80. Now, again, if they do $40, $25, that, that's going to help. I think it's it's obviously a lot better. It's It's a more reasonable price. But still, Zoo is a superstar in Australia. He's not here in America. I keep hearing that Thurman is this big name and he's this star. He's not. He headlined a pay-per-view against uh, Mario Barrios, what, two years ago or something? It did less than 50,000 pay-per-view buys. Less than 50,000, okay? Thurman is not some big superstar. He's a name among American boxing fans. He was a former unified world title holder at welterweight. Yes, that was a long time ago, okay? So that's not necessarily a, a pay-per-view worthy matchup, okay? If you're going to do this big launch and you're going to go on pay-per-view, I, I get it. I, because of the finances involved and the structure of the deal, I, I get it. Why not go right to Zoo versus Charlo or try to make Zoo versus Crawford? something like that, even if it means you have to delay another month or two to have a big launch with, with a fight that's meaningful, with a fight that actually matters. But here we go. Um, the other fights on the undercard, they're quality fights, but guys, again, this isn't a pay-per-view card. And I've heard some people comparing this card to the December 23rd card that His Excellency put on in Saudi Arabia. I I'm sorry, that card was better. Just the matchups on that card were better, and there was a build there. People were hoping Wilder would beat Parker so that you'd get the Joshua-Wilder fight next. That was the, the plan, the business plan with that card. It didn't work out that way. But, again, that, that card was 40 bucks. It was all almost all heavyweights. 
you know, and there were some, some really uh, big names on there on that card. So um, anyway, I, yeah, I just look, is this the worst pay-per-view in the history of boxing? No, but is this a pay-per-view worthy fight? Is this worthy of launching your new platform? I'm not trying to hate. I'm just trying to keep it real. And, and the, the cult members get so upset. They're, they're really, really sensitive and, and just don't handle criticism well. But you guys make it so easy to criticize your, your, your platform. Like and I, and some of you guys in the chat, I know are going to jump on and say, but their fighters get paid. Cool. How's American boxing doing right now? How's the state of American boxing doing? Okay. Last one, Naoi Inoue versus Luis Neri, May 6th, Tokyo, ESPN+. Plus. It'll be on early Monday a.m. here in the U.S. of A. Uh, so here's an example. I just talked about that lackluster pay-per-view. Here, if you're a subscriber to ESPN+, Plus, you're going to see the best fighter in the world, maybe the second best at worst fighter in the world, defend against uh, a really, really good opponent who's went over to Japan um, and had a lot of success. So there's some bad blood there and it's going to be a hell of a fight and a hell of an atmosphere. They're going to, they're fighting in the Tokyo dome, which seats over 50,000. They will sell it out. It'll be a great atmosphere in the crowd. It'll be so fun to wake up on a Monday morning, have my coffee, get my girls up, get them going, get their breakfast going and watch this card while they're eating breakfast and while I'm drinking my coffee. That's going to be freaking cool. And I get that it's not free. You have to pay for the subscription, but yeah, I'm not paying $80 for that. So yes, I'm going to talk a lot more friendly about that fight because it's relevant. It matters. It features arguably the best fighter in the world, pound for pound and a, a superstar. People talk about star power, right? In a way is a superstar in Japan. This fight will do eight figure viewership in japan alone globally you're talking tens of millions of people that are going to watch this fight guys it's just a different stratosphere and, and in a way as a really little fighter remember this dude started what flyweight now now he's up at super bantam um getting five million dollars plus you know he's changing the the financials of those really small weight divisions. What Nassim Hamed did for like the featherweight division right around there, Inouye's doing that for like the bantamweight division, like even smaller guys right now, right? He's changing the economics of those lower weight classes. Uh, now has brought eyes to the lower weight classes because he was entertaining, but his financials, now on par with Inouye. Inouye is taking that and expanding upon it. So, so he's doing some really important work. And I can't wait to watch that fight, man. <clears throat> okay. Let's, uh, I just want to make sure I didn't miss anything in the chat. All right, we got a bunch of you guys in here. By the way, make sure that you're uh, clicking on that notification bell. All right. And uh, make sure you're spreading the word about this. Um, yeah, Hamed in the chat says, Thurman's first fights were at, first 10 fights were at 150 plus. Yes, Hamed, but he was a prospect. And those were just catchweight fights because they didn't want to burn down and sacrifice to get, to 147. Since he's been a ranked fighter, he has fought his entire career at welterweight. He's a welterweight. Um, it's cool if he wants to move up and stuff, but moving up and going right to the top, dude, when you haven't fought in two years, you've fought five times since 2015. Yeah, hard sell. And that's headlining a pay-per-view. Hard sell. That's a hard sell, man. 
Okay. Uh, oh, Gail dropped it here on the chat. Price of the PBC Amazon pay-per-view is going to be $70. Well, there you go, guys. It's not worth $70. It's not worth half that, in my opinion, but $70. And you get to, that is half of the price of a year of ESPN Plus, right? I'm going to get to watch Naomi Inoue two or three times in the in the year because I subscribed right before his last fight uh, against Topolis last year. So I'm probably going to see Inoue fight three times in a year uh, for 150 bucks. PBC is charging half of that for a fight that doesn't mean shit. It's a worthless fight. Hey, they're getting paid though. All right, you guys keep pounding American boxing into the ground deeper and deeper and deeper. Look at the pound for pound list back in the 90s. Look at the pound for pound list today. Get at, get at me. All right, let's review some fights. January 13th in uh, Canada, Quebec City, to be exact. Arthur Beterbi of TKO7 over Callum Smith improves to 20-0, all 20 wins by knockout, and is on a really good streak. I mean, his last five or six fights is what beat Vojtik. Marcus Brown, who I always say is an underrated fighter, just pulverized Joe Smith. No one's done that to Joe Smith. Joe Smith, arguably, um, or one, definitely one of the most physically strong and just physical boxers, pound for pound, in boxing in this era. And better be have just worked him, right? Uh, a good fight against Anthony Yard, good win that I think is going to age well. And now this win over Smith, who say what you will about Smith, he is a former belt holder. He did win a tournament. I mean, the, the guy's a quality prize fighter, uh, not an elite guy or anything like that, but better be has just pulverized all these dudes. Having said all that, he's never beat a great fighter, right? Vojtik's the best fighter he's faced and he, um, good, really, really good fighter, but not, not great, right? He needs that Dimitri Bivol win to put better be in a discussion with some of the great fighters that have fought at light heavyweight. In, in recent decades. He falls short of that right now because he just hasn't fought the top dude yet. So I'm hoping that His Excellency can get better Biev and Bivol signed. The, the, the rumors are that they're working on it for this June. That'd be amazing. I figured we'd have to wait till the end of the freaking year. But if they can do it in June, that means maybe these guys fight again later uh, in the second half of the year. If it's a really good fight in June, it's close. Maybe they do a rematch. So I, I love it if they can get that done for June. You guys remember in my preview for this fight, I told you better BF was going to pretty much manhandle Smith. And I thought Smith, I really did think Smith would have some, some success early on. He really didn't. Uh, but I drank the Kool-Aid for a little while. There's a lot of people out there that thought this was a 50-50 fight and Smith had a really good chance to win. And again, for a while, I kind of bought into that a little bit myself. But I started thinking about it as the fight got closer. And I just looked at what Smith does and what Better Biev does. And I told myself, if Better Biev is still the guy that, you know, still at his peak form, he's going to dog walk this dude. Smith, yes, tall, long, all that. But Better Biev has the ability to get underneath those kinds of shots with a taller, longer guy get underneath and work and Smith can't fight <clears throat> on the inside. Smith doesn't really fight coming forward or if, I'm sorry, if you push him backward, he struggles, he gets, he lays up on the ropes and just, you know, a guy like better be, is just going to work on you, man. I, you know, 
I've really, really gotten them. My respect for Better Biev has grown. I wasn't a believer several years ago. I wasn't 100% sold on the guy just because he hasn't been very active. 20 fights in his whole pro career. Um, some of that was not his fault, but a lot of it was his fault, the inactivity. Uh, there were managerial issues and stuff like that. There were injuries. But um, look, he's kind of building a resume that's more quality over quantity. And right now, he's definitely a pound-for-pound pound fighter. I mean, you got to consider this guy one of the top five fighters in the sport right now, right? I, just what he's doing is is kind of unprecedented. We, we've seen a lot of guys start their career with these really impressive knockout streaks, right? But once they step up in opposition, that stops. That's totally normal. That's what's supposed to happen as you step up. You're going to face better opposition, guys that know how to survive. You're going to start going to distance sometimes. This dude hasn't. As he has stepped up and fought some of the better fighters in the division, he's still stopping them. He's still breaking them down and getting them out of there. So uh, he is just the most rugged, physical fighter of this generation. And I say it all the time. He is a Russian-Canadian Rocky Marciano. That, that's just the way I look at Better of The way he punches uh, through the target, the way he comes forward, the way he catches shots, the way he gets underneath taller guys, because he's not the tallest guy for that division. Uh, it just, it just his physical strength. I talked to some guys that were around Marciano and um, knew guys that sparred with him and trained with him and fought with him. I've talked to some of those old timers, and they tell me that The Rock, he was just physically one of the strongest guys in boxing history, just pound for pound, just his brute strength, just as a human being. Better BF's got that. He's just a 21st century version of that, man. He's a lot of fun to watch. Now, I'm still not convinced he beats Dimitri Bivol. I got to think about that fight right now because of Bivol's last fight and how he looked, Better BF's last fight and how he looked. Everyone right now, it seems like it's 90-10. Better BF's going to destroy Bivol. I'm still not sure about that. For me, right now, that's still a 50-50 matchup. I got to think more about that. Let's wait till it gets signed, and then we'll talk about it, okay? But at this point, guys, that, that's still a pick em fight just in terms of styles, okay? I know that's that's controversial right now to say that, right? I'm not saying I'm going to pick Bivol. I might pick better BF. I might pick Bivol. I'm just saying right now, people are having some recency bias. Um, I just, I really hope that fight happens because pound for pound, it's actually the best fight you can make in the sport right now. Better BF Bivol will play out and be everything Crawford Spence was supposed to be. I know it's going to bother some people, but it's true. All right. Um, last weekend, last Saturday, Jaime Mungia, TKO9 over John Ryder. This is another one where if you looked at what I posted on X, and, and I didn't really talk a whole lot about this fight because I haven't done a lot of shows lately, but I told everybody, like, People are looking at this as a 50-50 fight. This is nuts. Mungia is going to stop John Ryder. I remember Thad calling into the show and talking about how he was going to gamble, how he was going to bet this fight, Mungia by stoppage. And I completely agreed with him. Um, just in terms of the styles, look, Jaime Mungia is what he is, um, but so is John Ryder. Yes, Ryder you know, went rounds with Canelo Alvarez and had some moments. That wasn't 100% Canelo Alvarez. 
Canelo was taking it easy because he had some big business down the line to take care of uh, after Ryder, and he didn't want to risk anything. Um, but just in terms of styles, I, I always thought Munguia was going to stop Ryder. I, I never viewed this as a 50-50 fight. So that surprised me that a lot of people, people just get recency bias, and, and they just, it blinds them. It just blinds them. I think a lot of people are doing that right now with better be of Bivol. Anyway, Munguia gets the W. Wants Canelo Alvarez. He is technically, I believe, Canelo's mandatory for one of his belts. Can that fight happen? Munguia is a Golden Boy Promotions guy. Canelo is a Canelo Promotions guy who just signed a three-fight deal with PBC after having a multi-fight deal with Matchroom. And he's a former Golden Boy Promotions guy. So Canelo is basically his own boss. And yes, he has a fight, a three-fight deal with PBC, but it's still Canelo Promotions. He's running his ship. It's really up to Canelo and who he wants to fight. I'll say this. Jaime Munguia versus Canelo Alvarez makes a lot of money. I know this is going to sound crazy to you guys, but it will outsell Spence Crawford in pay-per-view numbers. Absolutely outsell what that fight did. And it will obviously dwarf what Canelo did against uh, Jermel Charlo. So. I'm not going to say it's going to do a million pay-per-view buys, but it's probably going to do three quarters of a million. Probably will. I mean, that that's a big fight. If they did it on uh, Cinco de Mayo weekend around there in May, Mexican-Americans are going to buy that fight, man. It's, it's going to do very well on pay-per-view. So although Jaime Munguia isn't a PBC guy, I could see this fight happening, especially if the WBC is involved. And I think it's the WBC where Jaime Munguia is the mandatory. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. But um, I just, I don't know. Maybe it can happen. And, and you know what? It's going to be an entertaining, fun fight. I'm not saying I'm picking Munguia to win. I know he looked great against John Ryder. And Canelo didn't look so great against him. Again, guys' styles make fights. Every fight's different. I still favor Canelo to beat Munguia. But I think Munguia would make him really have to work for it. He'd be Canelo's best opponent, toughest opponent, I should say, in quite a while. Maybe his, his toughest opponent, his toughest matchup since Golovkin. So I'd love to see it. And then let's say that fight happens in May. I, I have no idea, okay? But let's just say that fight happens in May. A lot of people think it's going to be Jamal Charlo in May. Jamal Charlo against Canelo, and they could do the brother revenge angle, you know, and all this. Here's my thing. The Charlos don't sell shit. Jamal Charlo's been chronically inactive. He's done nothing to earn that fight. He has zero momentum. And PBC could still make a lot more money with Canelo Munguia than they could Canelo Charlo. Even though they would control Canelo Charlo 100%, they'd have to share the money with Canelo Munguia. It still makes them more money. And in the end, it, that's what it comes down to, right? So I think it's very possible we get Canelo Munguia. If Canelo wins, obviously that sets up Canelo Benavidez in September. That is the build I would go for if I'm PBC. You're taking a risk because if Munguia beats Canelo, well, now it's a golden boy guy who's the undisputed super middleweight champion of the world. You lose that, and you're in a tough place in terms of negotiating for David Benavidez. Here's the thing, though. Even if Munguia wins, 
Canelo can still fight Benavidez. It's still a massive fight. Canelo can fight anybody. It's still a massive fight. And people would show up and they don't give a shit about the belts. If Canelo does beat Munguia, though, the no-brainer is Canelo Benavidez in September. And at that point, I'm telling you guys, it's probably a million pay-per-view buy card. It really probably would be just because of the demos involved in that. So uh, I hope that's what we get. And I think it's definitely possible. Okay. Let's uh, jump to the chat. Oh, we got a super chat from John Uden. Ain't heard from you in a while, John. Hope you're doing well, brother. He says, uh, and thank you for the super chat. He says, I'm as excited for a better BF Bivol as I was for Gassi of Usyk. That fight shocked me how lopsided it ended up being. Hope that's not the case this time. I'm with you, man. Um, yeah, Usyk just proved that he's levels above Gassiev. Gassiev had been on such a an impressive dominant run, but skill-wise, Usyk's just on a completely another level, right? Um, but it's interesting you bring that matchup, you know, you bring that up because you know, if you're you're making that comparison, style-wise, better Biev would be Gassiev and Bivol would be Usyk in this situation. Now, I think better Biev obviously is light years better than Gassiev. Um, and I I wouldn't put Bivol up there on Usyk's level. That's why I think it's going to be a true 50-50 fight. But you never know till they get in the ring, brother. Maybe better BF just dominates and destroys Bivol. Maybe Bivol completely boxes the shit out of better BF. And it looks like Usyk Gassiev. You just don't know. But um, I'm excited for that fight too, man. I'm excited for that fight too. Okay, let's do some preview action, and then uh, we're going to jump off here in about 15 minutes. Okay, guys? Uh, next month, two big cards of note. Um, there, there's a few fight cards lined up, and I'm going to just talk about these two. February 8th in Las Vegas, it's the return of Tiafimo Lopez going up against Jermaine Ortiz defending his WBO 140-pound title. That's not a bad fight. Not a great fight, but not a bad fight, especially you know for regular ESPN. Keyshawn Davis on that card making his biggest step up so far as a pro, going up against the veteran Jose Pedraza. Uh, I like that matchup a lot for, you know, development-wise for Davis. Top rank really knows what they're doing with uh, the development of their young prospects. And Pedraza, a lot of experience, been in there with everybody, definitely a long in the tooth, though. And I think that's perfect matchmaking for Davis, and I think he's going to be able to handle that fight, and I think he's actually going to shine. I think he's going to look really good in that matchup. Uh, obviously, like Lopez to beat Ortiz, but style-wise, I think Ortiz is going to make that fun. That's just regular ESPN. My hope is that uh, ESPN, please don't make us wait till like one in the morning for the main event. Please just get to it. Can, can I go on a quick little rant? Because top rank is the worst offender with this. Although DAZN, they've they've been really, really bad too. Um, all the shoulder programming. Let's be honest. All, all those vignettes that like, we'll, we'll stick to top rank and ESPN. All that stuff that Mark Kriegel does. And I have nothing against Mark. He's a good journalist. He does a really fine job at what he does. Okay? I like Mark. But all the little vignettes, the little 10 minutes, like, let's get to know the fighter. And then, you know, th this fighter has an uncle who has a llama farm and this llama has cancer and he's dedicating the fight to the, to the cancer llama. I don't give a flying fuck. I just don't. I want to see the fights 
you have social media, you have Facebook, you have Instagram, you have YouTube. Put that shit on your social media feeds. If you're the network, if you're the promoter, Top Rank has a YouTube page. Put that shit on there. You have a whole app, ESPN Plus, right? Infinite space to put content, to house content. Put that shit on the app. I don't give a damn when it comes to watching the broadcast, any of that stuff. And the people who do want to see it, if they know it's on the YouTube channel, they know it's on the app, they can go search for it and find it and watch it there. And they could get to know about the fighter's uncle's llama farm. Okay. I don't care about stuff like that. I just want to see the fights. Just get to the damn fights. And top rank shows are so hard to watch, especially when it's fights like this. Like, look, Lopez Ortiz, Davis Pedraza. We, we know who's going to win these fights. We know that Lopez is going to win. We know Davis is going to win, right? I want to see the development of Davis, so I'm going to watch that fight. I think Lopez is a key player at 140. I want to see that fight. But we pretty much know who's going to win. These are kind of showcase matchups. In the case of Davis Pedraza, I would call it a showcase development matchup, if that's a thing. So when I know who's going to win, and I'm watching just to see styles and how a guy looks to assess how he's going to do in the future against other opponents, get to the damn fights, please, please. Is a guy who has a 15-month-old baby <laughs> and a three-month-old baby, and I'm getting up in the middle of the night to feed them milk and stuff. I, I, I need my sleep, bro. Get to the damn fights, please. Okay. Uh, two weeks after that, uh, February 17th in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, His Excellency's doing it again. Tyson Fury versus Alexander Usyk, undisputed heavyweight championship of the world. Now, I'm not going to break this down and do a full preview yet. We've got plenty of time to do all that. But my initial thoughts are as follows. When this fight was first announced, again, a lot of recency bias and people looking at Tyson Fury struggling against Francis Ngannou, looking like hell in that fight. There's rumors that uh, Jai Opataya dropped him in sparring. Opataya's people flat out deny it. His, I think his management put out posts on social media saying that shit never happened. Whether you believe it or not, maybe it's all part of the promotion to get us talking, right? And Fury and his team are real slick about that kind of stuff to get in their opponent's head. Um, I, look, Tyson Fury, this is his fight to lose. The, the old adage in boxing is a good big man beats a good little man, right? And in this matchup, Fury's the big man, Usyk's the little man. So on paper, hear me out, guys. I'm not necessarily saying this is how I see the fight. I'm just saying the visuals of it, the logistics of it, on paper, Tyson Fury is supposed to win this fight. And he's supposed to win in dominant fashion. He is supposed to knock out Alexander Usyk, who fought as a middleweight at one point in the amateurs. A middleweight, okay? That's 160 pounds for those of you keeping up. Usyk has filled out. He's been fighting at heavyweight. But if you saw that fight against Daniel Dubois, 
and his fights against Joshua and even some of his other heavyweight fights, there are moments in those fights where it's obvious the guy is not a heavyweight. And some people be like, well, he's been fighting at heavyweight for several years. That means he's a heavyweight. No, it doesn't, numb nuts. No, it doesn't. If, if I gain 200 pounds and I'm walking around at 400 pounds, does that mean I'm a natural 400 pounder? No. It means I need a diet. <laughs> probably, probably a lot more than a diet at that point. <laughs> but in all seriousness, Usyk is a cruiserweight who has bulked up to fight at heavyweight. So he is an undersized heavyweight. He is not a natural heavyweight in this era of boxing. He's not. Some people out there have made the comparison uh, Deontay Wilder. And they've said, well, Deontay Wilder weighs less than Alexander Usyk. Yeah. Have you seen his height and reach? That's a little different. I want to say Wilder's reach is like eight inches longer than Usyk. His back, his shoulders. I've met both these guys. I, I've given them a dap and hey, what's up, man? You know, I've with both of them, and I can tell you right now, Deontay Wilder is a much bigger guy than Alexander Usyk. Trust me, I'm six foot four. I was taller than Usyk. I sure as hell wasn't taller than Deontay. And with like, I gave him a kind of a hug when I met him, and um. With like that half hug. <laughs> and I was like, damn, this dude's big. I was surprised at how wide his back was. He's a big guy. He's just really skinny. Uh, Thomas Hearns was a tall, skinny guy that punched like hell. So the comparison, it's just a lazy comparison. Okay. Uh, Usyk is not even as natural a heavyweight as Deontay Wilder is. Okay. And just look at the punching. Okay. Uh, for any, for evidence of that. So. When you have an undersized heavyweight and a supremely huge super heavyweight in Tyson Fury, the size difference, again, I keep going back to that because on paper, Fury's supposed to win this fight. The, the optics of it, that's the word I was looking for, the optics of it. When you see these two doing a face-off, when you see them in the ring, the casual fan's going to look at this and be like, how the hell could this guy lose? I think Fury knows that deep down inside. All the pressure's on him in this matchup. That's why I bring all this up. In my opinion, all the pressure is on Tyson Fury. Also, when you look at his resume, there's some big holes in that resume. Yes, he beat Vladimir Klitschko. He was also using steroids that same year. And when they did a, a rematch and Vladimir demanded VADA testing, Tyson Fury ducked. He ducked so hard he didn't fight for several years. Okay? So I put an asterisk there. I'm not the only one. Even if you thought that was totally on the up and up, cool. You beat an old Vladimir Klitschko, and then you beat one of the most overrated fighters of this uh, decade in Deontay Wilder. Fun fights. Wilder's a good fighter. A lot of heart. Yes. But if that's your two accomplishments, and there's a bunch of nothing in between all that, yeah, dude. Fury needs this win. He needs this win to secure his legacy. Alexander don't. Alexander Usyk's legacy is secured. This guy, gold medal in the Olympics, won several championships, uh, world championships, gold medals in different tournaments. So highly accomplished amateur. And then in the pros, cleans out cruiserweight. He is no less than the second best cruiserweight of all time. I personally think he's the best cruiserweight ever with his accomplishments over Evander Holyfield, but flip a coin. And then at heavyweight, 
in what has it been six fights i think six fights five six fights he has taken uh three of the four belts he could retire tomorrow he could duck this fight and say ah you know guys i'm out I, I hurt my thumb i'm out i'm not doing this fight and he'd still be a hall of famer first ballot his legacy secured he doesn't need this win tyson fury does way more than alexander Usyk. so to me that's a big x factor here the pressure's on fury to perform especially after looking like dog shit against francis and ganyu Usyk, I think, is going to be the sentimental favorite for a lot of fans because he's the underdog. He's the little guy going, it's it's David and Goliath, right? And he's also been a guy that's been so willing to fight on the road and fight the best. I just think a lot of people are going to have his back, and he's going to be able to go into this fight with um, kind of a freeness. Like, hey, man, I'm just going to go for it. I, you know, this big dude's supposed to beat me, but I'm going to give it everything I got. And, you know, he's a very religious man. Both of these guys are. But I think Usyk's is more genuine. <laughs> when you just look at their lifestyles, <laughs> I think Usyk's religiousness is a lot more genuine. Um, but that faith and all that that he has, it's reminiscent of Evander Holyfield. There are a lot of parallels between those two guys. Um, you know, I, I just, I don't know, dude. I, I, I'm leaning Usyk. I'm leaning Usyk. But we'll talk about it as we get closer to it. Um, either way, I'm looking forward to that fight a lot. And obviously, it's a huge one. Whoa, big super chat pledge from DLZX4SPQMTVJW. Thank you so much, whoever you are. I appreciate that, dude. Awesome, awesome super chat. Um, no question, or you don't have a question or a comment. That's cool. You're just supporting the show. I dig it, man. Thank you so much. All right, guys, that's uh, that's what I got today. Um, yeah, we kept it under an hour, and um, hopefully, I caught every I caught up on everything. I, I think I caught up on everything. I gave my Detroit Lions some props for the really fun season. I'm really proud of them. It's been a, just a, just a, so much fun to be a football fan. Uh, but now, yeah, I got a poll for the 49ers against the chiefs and then football is done and it's 100 back to boxing right uh and we got some fun fights to look forward to particularly fury Usyk. if look if we get fury Usyk and then we get better bf bevel this year especially if we get him in the first half of this year that's awesome and um it, it opens things up for some other interesting fights to come together so um i hope i hope we really get to see both uh, within the first half of the year all right, guys, uh, I appreciate it so much. Make sure I didn't miss any, any other super chats. No? Okay. You guys are awesome. We'll do it again very, very soon, I promise, as soon as I get some more free time. Enjoy your week and enjoy the Super Bowl in a couple weeks. Go 49ers. Screw the Chiefs. All right, peace.